Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Come on, who's excited to be at church? 10 a.m. You made it. You made it. Daylight savings. That is, give it up for yourself. Give it up. Come on. Who knows an extra hour feels like six or seven. It does. Um, I don't know if you heard in the video, he did say, I won't be praying for the Lakers today. Uh, I want to, but I won't. But I want to. But I won't. Um, I won't. Someone last service said, yelled out, but you need to. I said, oh my gosh. Ouch. Um, Do we love our lead pastors, Tyler and Rachel Johnson? Can we put some noise, uh, make some noise for them? Uh, Super thankful for them. Every time I get an opportunity to speak, I just want to always make sure uh, that I honor them. Uh, We just love them so much. Um, And I say this every single time, but uh, they're not normal. I feel like we all can agree on that, that that a lot of times when you're in church, in good church for for a little bit, it can start to feel like that's the norm. Like, oh, every church must be like this. And can I encourage you? Uh, That's not the case. Uh, We have special pastors. We have special leaders. uh, And they're amazing, and they love you. Every time they come into the office, it's always, oh, I was praying over our church this morning morning or I was overlooking the bay and I just can't believe, can't wait to see what God does. Uh, So can we do this? Can we put our hands together one more time uh, for our lead pastors, Tyler and Rachel? They can't hear you, but they can feel you. They can feel you. Um, just really quickly, I do want to talk about our youth ministry, uh, mission youth. Uh, we can make some noise. I see a lot of our youth students in the house. Amazing. Um, love our youth students. Uh, it's been a great, uh, season. Uh, we've actually had the opportunity, uh, to launch, uh, our services over the last few months, as well as we've even been getting on school campuses. Um, and students have been getting saved, uh, even in our public school campuses, college or schools like college park. Yeah, we can put our hands together for that. That's good news. Uh, I love it. I really do believe God's not done with the Bay Area, that there's, there's a lot going on, uh, but God's still moving. God's still here. God's still active. Um, and we've even uh, gotten to do just amazing things all throughout our youth ministry, um, as well as we're going to summer camp uh, this summer. Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to be going to Mission Springs uh, in Santa Cruz, and it's been amazing. We already, uh, shocking, not shockingly, but it's pretty cool, uh, we already have passed Uh, the amount of students that we brought to camp last year, uh, which is crazy. Um, So God's really moving in the Bay Area. If you want to come to summer camp, uh, we're going to be going July 19th through 22nd to Mission Springs out in Santa Cruz. Uh, It's pretty cool. They actually uh, renovated the entire thing. Um, So now all the rooms are like hotel style rooms with their own bathroom, uh, which to all of our students that went to camp with us last year, uh, you know, we were sleeping on the floor. Uh, We were sharing a bathroom, uh, but it was for the gospel. It was for the good news. Uh, camp's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. We already have a few other churches that are going to be coming with us. We're even going to be bringing in some guest speakers. Um, so if you have any questions about camp uh, after service, talk to Mike T. Uh, he was up here doing the ministry time, uh, which do we love uh, Mike T and Caroline? Can we, put, can we make some noise for them? Come on. Uh, crushing it here at HQ. Uh, but just ask him any questions uh, and you'll be able to get registered and come hang at summer camp. Uh, but... Super excited uh, for my message this morning. Uh, But before we get into that, do we have any sports fans in the house? Make some noise, raise your hand if you're a sports fan. Um, Yes, the fact that I had to address that I wouldn't pray for the Lakers should let you know I'm a sports fan. I love sports. I just love sports. Basketball is my favorite sport. I played it all my life, had the opportunity to play in college. Uh, It was just so much fun. Uh, But over the last year, 
I, I wouldn't say that I've grown to love a sport, but I've grown to enjoy a sport a little bit more. Uh, and that sport is baseball. Uh, is there any baseball fans in the room? Yeah, come on. It's great. It's fun to go to a game. It's so exciting. Um, I always, never mind, I'm not gonna get into that. Uh, but, I almost did it, I won't. Um, but I grew to love uh, going to baseball games. I just grew to love it. And the reason why is because I went to a Giants game. I went to a really fun Giants game. Make some noise if you're a Giants fan. Come on. Uh, if you haven't noticed this by now, uh, I like when people make noise. It's fun. I'm a youth pastor. It's great. Uh, but I went to a Giants game, and it was a ton of fun, and it made me love the Giants. I am now have been adopted into the Giants family. Uh, whether or not you want me there, I don't know. Uh, but you got me. You got me. I'm here. Um, and I love, love watching and seeing things about the Giants. And it all started with this one game. So I go to this game, and I think we all can agree, if you've ever been to a sporting event, uh, you can kind of tell who the fake fans are. So I feel like everyone's watching me as I walk in, because I'm as fake as they come. Like, we're talking to people, and we're with a group of people who are like Giants fans, and they're, oh, I've been a Giants fan for, for 20 years. And I'm like, oh, I've been a Giants fan for an hour and a half, but we're here. And it's great, and it's so fun, and, and I ended up having the best time. It was super fun, and I can tell that even right now, you're like, was it, was it as fun as you're saying? Even some of you guys who were like baseball, you're like, is it, is it as fun as, as you're really saying it is? Uh, I sent in a video of me and my wife at the Giants game. Now, I knew I was gonna have fun. I didn't know I was gonna have that much fun. Like, that is a lot of fun. That is, yeah, thanks for taking that down. Thank you, thank you. Um, but it's hilarious because I even came to church the next week and I'm talking to people and I'm like, we won! Like, as if I played, like, as if I was in the game. Like, that's the biggest thing that I do as a sports fan. Like, I'll be like, oh man, the Lakers, you know, we just really need this. And people are like, what do you mean, we? Like, there is, it's them and it's you. It's them, you, you're not a player. And it's hilarious because I think that when I talk about maybe something that we call in the church evangelism, when I talk about maybe reaching out to people, bringing people to know Jesus, a lot of times it feels like it, it's kind of we, but it's more them. Like it's, it's really more them. Like they do all the work. Like those, those are the people that are really good at it. Like those are the people that, that know more about theology. Those, those are the people, but, but we won. But, but it was really you. And what I love about the Bible is that the Bible actually tells us all that we're what? Evangelists. How do I know? Because the one commandment that Jesus left us was what? Go and make disciples. What does he say? He says, go and make disciples. Meaning that you're an evangelist. Meaning that I'm an evangelist. Meaning that we are called as people who are following Jesus, whether you know it or not, to bring Jesus to our workplaces, to bring Jesus to our schools, to bring Jesus to people that need it. So what do we do? What do I now do now that I understand the, the command that Jesus has given me? What do I now do? Because I think we all have maybe been in a moment to where we're like, oh, well, well this, this could kind of be that moment, but what do I do? I feel this urge to tell people about Jesus, but, but what do I do? And that's where we find the character in our story this morning. We're going to be reading out of Acts, and the reason why the book of Acts is called Acts is because they did things. They did action. It was great. Uh, they went out and they reached people for Jesus. They went out and reached people for the gospel. And in Acts chapter 8, 
The Bible says in verse four, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was a great joy in that city. And then as you begin to go down to verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road. That goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's pray one more time before the preaching of God's word. God, I thank you that you did not choose to evangelize alone. I thank you that you actually brought us along for the journey, that you use imperfect people, people who struggle, people who hurt, people who are in pain, and yet you can still use them to bring other people to you, to heal hearts, to bring grace, to bring love and forgiveness in situations that we never thought were possible. Remind us, God, that we are evangelists, that you have given us what's called the great commission to go and make disciples. Do what only you can do in our church, in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Uh, who in here loves movies? Like, I love movies. I'm a movie guy. Yeah, make some noise if you love some movies. I just love a good movie. I love going to the movies. I love going and getting the big thing of popcorn and eating two bites, even though I spent $25 for it. I love going to the movies. But I especially love Marvel movies. Is there anyone who loves Marvel movies? Yeah, make some noise again if you love. We do this a lot. I'm sorry. I know. You're going to get your clapping in. It's your... Your, your wrist on your Apple Watch is going to fill that ring. Uh, so we, I love Marvel movies. My wife, however, does not like Marvel movies. Now, yay, it's so good. Um, but if you've ever tried to explain to someone who doesn't like Marvel movies, like the pressure you have to go through in order to like Marvel movies, I think we all can agree it's, it's a little weird and it's a little frustrating. Like, hey, I know that you didn't like 
Endgame, but the reason why you didn't like Endgame is because you didn't see the 20 movies before it. So what I need you to do is I need you to go back and watch the 20 movies before it, and then there's a chance that you could possibly like Endgame. It's a lot of work. Can we agree? It's a lot of work. I may or may not have watched all uh, 24 movies of Marvel in two weeks or three weeks during COVID. I may or may not, but I did. And it was great, but my wife does not love Marvel movies. But the reason why I love these movies, the reason why I love them is because in every single movie, there's always a point that's like a turn, like a turn of events. There's always a point that's a turn to where everything's going great. Everything's fun, everything's great, people are flying around, shooting things out of their fists, and then all of a sudden things take a turn for the worse. They begin to take a turn. Can we agree that this is why we love movies because of the conflict that happens in them to where if a movie was good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end, that movie's probably gonna be pretty boring but the reason why we love movies is because of the conflict, because of the turn, because of what happens to the characters. And now in our story, we've now uh, experienced, we've now have seen the turn. If you look in the beginning of the verse that we read, it says that Philip was in a city called Samaria and that things were going pretty good. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. Demons are coming out of people. Like people are, this is revival. The Bible even says there was a great joy in that city. Come on, who wouldn't want to live in a city where there's great joy, where people are happy, people just smiling all the time? And then the same spirit that's helping him heal people, the same spirit that's turning people's hearts towards him, the same spirit that led him to Samaria, now says, hey, Philip, I need you to go to the desert. No details, no objective, no five-year plan. Just, hey, Philip, I... I need you to go to the desert. I think we all can agree that if we were Philip in this situation, our first thought would be, but God, do you not see what's going on in Samaria? Do you not see that people are being healed? Do you not see that people are, are coming to know you? Do you not see all of the work that is happening? Because I think what can happen in your life and in my life is we have a tendency to run from the desert, but not to the desert. You see, I think a lot of us, we have a tendency to run from the things in our lives that maybe feel like deserts. The desert is anything that's not enjoyable. So maybe you've been in a marriage and, it, and it's beginning to feel like a desert and, and in our minds, the reaction might be, okay, well, how can I figure out a way out of this? Maybe you've been in a job and there's no longer any opportunity for advancement. And your first response is, well, okay, where else can I go? Where else would I be more appreciated? Maybe you've been trying to reach your kids and, and your kids are hard. I don't have kids, but I, I heard they're difficult sometimes. <laughs> That's what I heard. And yet sometimes we can think, well, how can I maybe just rush through this season of life? How can I maybe just get them further along? We don't all the time run to the desert. A lot of times we run from the desert. And my first point this morning we're going to talk about three things that you, that you need in order to reach people for God. We're going to talk about three things that you need in order to be an evangelist. And the first thing that you need is you need a love for the desert. Oh, you need a love for the desert. You need to love the desert. One of my favorite verses is John 3.16. You're going to have to forgive me. It's not on the screen. I have this one memorized. I'm a pastor. So John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have 
everlasting life. God was moved by love. God wasn't moved by an analytical report. God wasn't moved by your potential to love him back. God wasn't moved by a five-year plan of where you might be in the future. What was God moved by? Love. He was moved by love. He began to give his son. Why? Because of his love. He began to give his, his life. Why? Because of his love. So if you're having a hard time reaching people in your desert, the first question that you're going to have to ask yourself is, do I have a love for the desert? Do I have a passion for the desert? Is the desert something that I'm running to or am I just praying, God, can you send me back to Samaria? Is the desert something that I'm trying to go to, trying to breach people in, or is it God, where, where else can I go? But one of the first things that you need, one of the first things you have to steward is you have to have a love for the desert. Am I passionate about the desert? What we end up finding out about this story is that Philip, uh, this guy that Philip is talking to, Scholars actually believe, even though there's no historical proof, scholars believe that he would then go back because he worked for the queen. He would go back, tell the queen about Jesus, and there would be revival in his country. That people would get saved, that people would get healed, that the gospel would spread like a wildfire because of why he was found in the desert. So showing me that God can do more with someone who's passionate about the desert than someone who's apathetic in Samaria. Because what can happen is we can be apathetic because things are going great. We might not care as much, but who knows when you're in the desert, you wake up with a little bit more passion. When you're in the desert, you might have to spend a little bit more time with Jesus before you go to work because you might get fired with how you, if you say how you feel. You might, you might need to really, really, really spend time with God. You really, really, really got to reach people. You really, really, really got to wake up with the fire in your heart. Why? Because you're in the desert. So God can do more with someone with that passion in the desert than someone who's just living life in Samaria, just living life, saying things are great, things are good. They don't need me to do anything else. But do you have a love? Do you have a passion? Do you have a love for the desert? And Philip goes up to this chariot. And the second question that we have, or the second point that we have, the second thing you need is a willingness to journey. You have to have a willingness to journey. Uh, last week we had baptisms. Can we make some noise for everyone that got baptized? It was amazing. One of my favorite Sundays that uh, we had at church. And what made this Sunday a little bit special was I actually got to baptize some of our youth students. So as I'm baptizing students and, and seeing them step into this new life with God, I'm thinking, oh, wow, I, I know about their breakups. I know about the things that they've went through. I know about the family members that were lost in, over the last year. Why? Because of a willingness to journey with people, because of a willingness to walk with people through life. So Philip goes up to the chariot and he asks the man this question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Why do I love this question? This is not a dismissive statement. This is not a statement that says, hey, I'm, I'm just here for a little bit and then I'm going to move on. But this statement actually begins a dialogue. This statement actually begins an, a, a, a conversation. This statement actually begins a journey. Last week, we had one of our youth events and it was a ton of fun. And it was one of the biggest events we had. And we gave away a VR. And a VR is one of the headsets, and it was super fun. And one of the kids that came, uh, he was hanging out before because he came to drop off his sister, and I know this kid, and me and this kid have, have known each other because I coached him in basketball. So I go up to him, and I say, hey, man, are you coming in? And he says, oh, no, man, I, I got some homework, which can we all agree that, like, high schoolers are really bad at lying? Like, they just are. Like, I'm looking at him, and I'm like, no, you don't. You don't. 
But okay, let's say you do. I was like, oh man, uh, just, just 45 minutes. Our services are 45 minutes long. You'll literally be home in 45 minutes. He goes, oh no, I got some things to do. I'm like, what happened to the homework? Nothing, it's gone. Now I thought you had homework. And that, then I say this statement. I say this statement, I say, dude, and I'm just joking around with him. I say, bro, the difference between you winning and losing could be 45 minutes. So I say, hey, you could literally win this VR headset. You could, you could win, but if you don't show up, you're not gonna win at all. So he's like, all right, all right, all right. He comes in and this kid's grown, or he's been around church. So he's worshiping and he's jumping and he's clapping his hands and, and he's having a good time. And then we get to the moment of truth to where we begin to give away the headset. And the way that we do it is we ask all the students to stand up and we'll go through each number in a raffle. So we read the first two numbers and kids are like amped up because all the first like three numbers are the same. So like every kid's like, I think I did it, I think I did it. But yet there's still like 60, 70, 80 other kids like standing. Um, and what happens is we begin to go through the numbers and then all of a sudden like students just start dropping, like literally just sitting down. And then you read the next number and this many students sits down to the point that we get to the last three students. And this kid is one of the students that's still standing. And in my mind, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way this kid wins. So we read another number and the other two kids drop and he looks at me and he goes, I won. This kid won the VR station. I'm literally was, I've never been so confused in my life. Like I literally was like, so he comes up to me afterwards and he's like, I won, I can't believe it. This is amazing. And I'm like, yes, you know, just the plan of God for your life, man. You're just so called. Are you coming back next week? Like, are you busy? Like, what are you doing? So literally this kid has now won the VR headset and he's just so thankful and he's just so happy and we're having the best time. But it's funny because I said this statement out of like joking and it ended up actually being true that the difference between you winning and losing was you staying. The difference between you going home in the metaverse and going home with nothing was literally him staying. And we get this verse in the Bible and it's verse 29, I think. And I love what the Bible says. I love what, what God says when he gives this, this direction to Philip. When he gives Philip the, the, the direction, he says, go to the chariot and stay near it. He says, hey, I need you to go to the desert. You're going to go to that chariot over there, but stay near it. If I can encourage you this morning, I think there are some of us in here who might be going through a hard time and you've been questioning whether or not you should quit, questioning whether or not you should stay. You've been praying. You've been crying out to God. You've even been saying things like, God, send me a word. God, send me a sign. Can I tell you something that a pastor said to me? If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible out loud. You got to go to the chariot and stay near it. You got to go to the chariot and stay near it. You got to go to your marriage and stay near it. You got to go to your kids and stay near it. You got to go to your job and stay near it. Can we put our hands together this morning? If you're willing to say the declaration, I'm not leaving. I'm not going. The Bible says when the chariot takes a step forward, you take a step forward. When the chariot speeds up, you speed up. If the chariot slows down, you slow down. If the chariot stops, this is where a lot of our frustration happens. If we can be honest with ourselves, a lot of us are not frustrated if the chariot's moving forward. Because at least you're getting something, right? Like at least there's a little bit of an opportunity things will work out. At least there's a little bit of a chance that you might, it might turn out the way that you want. But what do we do when the chariot stops? 
You see, I think a lot of us, if we're being honest, we do not have frustrations with the chariot moving too fast. We don't even have frustrations with the chariot moving too slow. Have you ever been in a situation, you're like, just give me something. Just give me anything, please. As long as the chariot's moving too slow. But what do we do when the chariot stops? If you're struggling to find that people are not wanting to come to Jesus in your jobs, in your families, in your workplaces, the question that I would ask you is, do you do a really good job of staying near the chariot when it's moving forward, but not so good of a job of staying near it when it stops? Maybe you made the phone call asking for forgiveness for something you've done and the call got declined. Did you stay near the chariot when the chariot stopped? Maybe you have been struggling in your marriage and you went to marriage counseling and things thought and you thought things were going to go great and things started maybe even progressing a little bit. But now the people are getting a little apathetic. People are getting a little bit discouraged. People are wondering if it's going to work out. Did you stay near the chariot when the chariot stopped? Did you make some decisions about your purity, some declarations, and then you met the person and you thought, oh, this is the one. This is it. We're going to get married. And then all of a sudden things took a turn. Could you stay near the chariot when the chariot stops? What we see happen with Philip is that they begin to go on this journey together. They're riding in the chariot together. They're reading scripture together. They're praying together. They're spending time together because Philip understood that you cannot journey with people that you keep at arm's length. You cannot journey with people that you keep here, that you, that you don't stay near, that you don't walk with, that you don't talk with, that you ignore. So the question that we have to ask is, what do I do when the chariot stops? How do I respond? What is my response to this? Philip is able to win someone over for Jesus, someone that doesn't look like him, someone that doesn't think like him, someone who had a different political party than him, and he's able to win him over. How? Because he was willing to journey, because he was willing to walk. He was in it for the long haul. He did not look at it as a transactional relationship, but he looked at it as, hey, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to answer your questions. I'm going to stay here, which leads me to the next point. Philip asks him this question. He says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Do, do you get it? Do you understand? And I love the man's response. He says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? The third thing that you need, the third thing you have to have is you have to have a willingness to explain. You see, I think a lot of us have a willingness to debate. I think a lot of us have a willingness to argue. I think a lot of us have a willingness to yell. But do we really have a willingness to explain? Do we have a willingness to walk with people? Me and Paige will sometimes get into arguments. Paige, my wife, and, you know, we were getting into arguments and we registered for marriage retreat, and then all the arguments just stopped. It was super weird. So I'm not telling you guys that that's why, but maybe. It's full this year, though, so enjoy the arguments for the next 365 days. But next year, next year, guys are good. Guys are good. The chariot stop. Come on. <laughs> hey. So we'll get into these arguments, and the reason why a lot of our arguments, not a lot, that sounds so bad. The reason why some of our arguments will sometimes get a little bit worse than others is because Paige is a processor. She needs to think. She needs to take time. She needs to really understand and really process her emotions. I'm a fixer. I'm like, what, how can we fix this? How do I know I'm a fixer? We took a strengths finders test as a, a staff. My first strength was something along the lines of achieving, meaning I like to get things done. My last strength was empathy, <laughs> meaning I like to get things done, but I'm not very good at 
figuring out how you feel. Pray for my wife, I beg you. I, I beg you. Um, but it's funny because she'll say this statement, and it's a statement I'm sure we've all said in our marriages, in our relationships. It's a statement I'm sure we've all heard. I don't need you to fix anything. I just need you to listen. I don't need you to, well, what if I can fix it? Well, no, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. So it began to spark this question in our minds of what's our goal? What's our goal when we're in an argument? What's our goal when we're maybe talking? And I think a lot of us, the goal is probably to win because there's nothing better than being right. Am I right? There's nothing better. Like there are a few things that are as fun and that are as great as being right. Like, have you ever been in an argument and then like halfway through the person realizes they're wrong and it's like, I told you. I'm literally like the quickest person on Google. Like if me and you are in an argument, I'll pull out my phone real quick. No, stats, I need evidence. I need it. Come on, I know I'm not the only one. Who in here loves being right? Who in here enjoys being right? Who in here would love to be right a little bit more often? But who knows you can be right and still be rude? Who knows you can be right and still be hurtful? Who knows you can be right and still be toxic? So the question we have to ask ourselves is what is the goal? Because you can win an argument and lose a soul. You can win a debate and someone's eternity could still be hanging in the balance. So I wrote down three questions. How do I know if I have a willingness to explain? I wrote down three questions that we can ask ourselves. Question number one, do your talks with your coworkers sound more like a courtroom than a conversation? Do the talks with your co- coworkers sound more like a courtroom? Show me your evidence. Show me if you're right. Nope, you're wrong. Nope, 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 wait. I don't care how you're feeling, but I fixed it. Do your conversations sound more like a courtroom than a conversation? The second one, do your talks with your family sound more like a boxing match or an embrace? I think we all can agree there are times where you're in a conversation, you're in an argument, and you feel like you just got punched in the face. It's like, whoa, where did this come from? What what happened? I didn't even know you were feeling this way. Is that how we talk to our family? Which leads me to the last question, the most important question, something I think we all need to process. What do I do when people disagree with me? How do I respond? What's my first response? How do I feel the need? Do I all of a sudden feel the need to defend? Do I feel the need to to maybe argue just because someone disagreed? What's interesting about our world is that we no longer feel the need to speak our mind. We now feel the need to yell our mind. You see, it's no longer enough for me to just communicate to you how I feel. I now need to be the loudest person in the room. I now need to be the person that's right, the person that's big, the person that, oh, I proved it. But the question is, what is the goal? When we're arguing, what is the goal? What I love about this story is that Philip and the eunuch would have disagreed on some things. We have to assume so because he's a different religion, different political party. He has a little bit more money. He's probably seeing the world differently. So I have to assume, we don't know how long they talked. We don't know how long the conversation went for. But I can guarantee there were some things that he had some questions on. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, well, how do we respond to this? And yet we never see a picture of Philip angry. We never see a picture of Philip maybe yelling. We never see a picture of Philip upset, but we see a picture of Philip explaining. 
being willing to walk, being willing to answer questions. And as I invite the keys up and we begin to close, those are the three things that you need in order to reach people for the gospel. But I think that there's some things that we already have. So here are two things that you have to have. And I love how the story ends. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Uh, I went to 24-hour fitness yesterday to play basketball and I was talking to this guy and I think we all know these moments in our lives to where you feel, I'm really struggling with this bottle cup, uh, to where you feel as if, okay, this is a moment that I could maybe share the gospel. Like, have we all maybe, if you've been a Christian for a while, there's a moment that you're like, oh, this, this seems like an opening. So I'm having this conversation with this guy and, and we're talking and we, we just sat down after and we're talking for like 10 to 15 minutes. And I, I have this moment to where I'm like, oh, this is, this is a moment I could probably invite him to church. This is a moment I probably could share the gospel with him. And I didn't. And if I could tell you, I wish I could tell you that there was some reason. I wish I could tell you that I'd, I was maybe in a rush. I wish I could tell you that there was some reason other than the fact I just kind of got a little nervous. I'm talking to this guy that I just met and we're talking about playing basketball at other gyms and I'm thinking in my head, well, well what if he thinks it's weird? Well, what if he thinks that I, I, I'm weird? What if, what if he begins to believe, what if he just kind of shuts down? And then we get to this moment where he asks me what I do for a living and, and I didn't lie, that'd be weird. But I said, hey, I, I work at a church. And his eyes began to light up and we began talking. And it's interesting because I felt so insecure. I think a lot of times when we tell stories as pastors, we sometimes maybe portray ourselves as the hero. But if I can be real, I, I miss the mark. I, I was a little bit nervous. I, I was a little bit insecure. And I think that the reason why a lot of us maybe struggle with sharing the gospel to people we struggle with sharing God's good news. The reason why is not because we're apathetic. I think it's just because we're insecure. I see, I don't think that the reason why is that we don't care. The fact that you maybe even feel a little bit scared might prove that you do. I think the reason why is because we begin to think, well, what are they going to say? Well, how is this going to look? Now I got to go to work tomorrow. And this guy said, no, this guy said his, his walk with Christ was a little bit different. I think that the majority of our reasoning is insecurity. So we get to this point, and if anyone in the story had any reason to be insecure, it was Philip. Philip is now talking to a guy who has more money than him. Philip's now talking to a guy who's a little bit higher on the political ladder than him. Philip's now talking to a guy that has a chariot. Philip didn't have a chariot. The Holy Spirit whisked Philip away. He said, nope, you are not getting a chariot, Philip. Gas prices, too high. There's no way. I'm just going to whisk you away. Come on. And yet, we get this crossroad to where Philip and his insecurity meet. And the guy asks him a question. He says, what do I need to do in order to be baptized? He says, what do I have to do? What, what can stand in the way? The only thing that could have stood in the way in that moment was Philip. The only thing that could have stood in the way in that moment was his insecurity. 
And yet we see Philip, he doesn't say, hey, let me go find someone else. Let me go find someone who went to seminary. Let me go find someone who's a little bit farther down the road. But what does he say? He says, hey, I'll begin to use what I have. He doesn't say, hey, I need to go find more. He says, I'll use what I have. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon, who's a theologian. And he says this statement. He says, many groan over their inabilities and yet have not came to the end of their abilities. He says, a lot of people are discouraged about what they don't have. Not even realizing they haven't even begun to use what they do have. Not even realizing that God's put so much more in their hands. God's given them so much more. He's given them so much more knowledge than they think. He's given them so much more character than they think. He's given them so much more opportunity than they think. And the things that I think you have, because we all struggle with, do I have enough? Am I good enough? Do I have the character? There are two things I think you have that are all that you need that we can find from this story. And the two things are this, the gospel and a puddle. That's it. Philip didn't use anything else. He used the gospel and a puddle. We do not see, we see a life changed forever. We see a life of potentially an entire people group who would be changed forever. Not because of a worship band, not because of a production budget, not because just because the sermon really got them the tinglys that morning, but because a man in a desert, a man in a place that was wilderness, a man decided to use what? The gospel and a puddle. Can I encourage you this morning? What's going to change your life? What's going to change the lives of the people around you? What's going to change the lives in our city? It's not going to be a change in ideology. It's not going to be a change in political power. It's not going to be a change in mandates, but it's going to be people who are secure in themselves, who are secure in God, who are secure in who they are. That's a God. I'm willing to use the gospel and I'm willing to share the puddle. Use the gospel. What does this mean? It means sharing with people that Jesus came down from heaven and he died on a cross for you and for me. And he rose three days later. Why? So that we can be in right standing with the father. Well, there no longer is this gap. There no longer is this need. There's no longer this, this potential that I have to strive in order to get God to love me. But Jesus died on a cross. Why? To close the gap. Come on, that's good news. We can put our hands together for that this morning. And then what else do I have? Because it, I feel like that's not enough. What else do I have? I have the puddles in my life. I have the opportunity to say, God, I, I feel like I've made some mistakes. God, I've done some things. God, I don't know if my story can be used by you. But if you say that you're willing, if you say that you're able, if you say that there's enough water for you, then there's enough water for me. If you say that you can use my life, God, well, then I'll surrender it. Well, then I'll give it to you because you allow me to use the gospel. So I'm not going to hide the puddles. You allow me to use the good news of Jesus. So I'm not going to use and not use the, the situations that you've brought me through. Can I encourage you this morning? Philip does not wait for more. Philip doesn't go get reinforcements, but he uses what he had. And in our life, what's going to happen is you're going to have to use the opportunities that you have. You're always going to need more, but can you use what you have? But can you walk with what you have? May we never let people stay in bondage out of fear of a conversation. May we never let people's eternity hang in the balance because of our insecurity. But may we be like Philip and say, God, I, I don't know if this is enough for you, but I know that it's, I'm going to make it enough for me, God. 
I don't know if my marriage is enough, God, but I'm going to use it anyway. I don't know if my job is enough, God, but I'm going to use it anyway. I don't know if I can do the things that you've called me to do, but I'm going to step forward into your calling. Something we talk about at our church is revival, impacting a city, impacting a nation so much. But what's interesting is that revival does not start in these walls. Revival does not start in the church, but it starts with you taking the gospel and your puddles to your work, to your families and having hard conversations with people of saying, this is what's happened in my life. So if there's anything I can encourage you with, use what you have. You're never going to have enough. Use what you have. It's never going to feel like you have enough opportunity. Use the opportunity you have. It's never going to feel like you have enough advancement. Use the advancement that you've already been given. And as you walk through your life, what you're going to see is you're going to see people coming to know Jesus. You're going to see your friends. You're going to see your family. You're going to see your coworkers. Not because you had the right words, not because you had the right things to say, but why? Because you were willing to journey. Because you had a love for the things that everyone else said was lost. Because you had the willingness to explain. And because you decided, hey, I'm going to use the gospel and God, you can use my puddles. Come on, stand to our feet as we begin to close. And we ask this question every single week here at Mission Church. And maybe you're here today and I'm talking about sharing the gospel of Jesus. And you're thinking, I don't even have Jesus in my life already. I want to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. We say here at Mission uh, Church in our youth ministry that this means two things. It means, God, I want you in my heart. God, there are things in my heart that, that I'm trying. I need heart surgery. God, there's things that I need you to take out. There's things that I feel as though I, I can't overcome on my own. The second thing we say is, Jesus, I need you in my life. There are some habits I have. There are some things in my life that I can't begin to even begin to heal on my own, God, but I need a savior. I'm tired of playing savior. I need a savior. I'm tired of trying to save myself, God, of trying to get myself out of a ditch that I dug myself in, God, but I thank you that you have stuck down your hand in order to pull us out. And if that's you and you want to accept Jesus as your savior today, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I'm going to count to three. I'd love for you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I'm not going to ask you to share your story. I just want to know who I'm praying for. And if that's you, I'd love for you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. It's awesome. It's awesome. I see you. God sees you. Give you a couple more seconds. It's awesome. You can put your hands down. And the second thing is if you're willing to say, hey, God, you can, you can use my puddles. I'll use the gospel because you allow me to. Because of your grace, I'm, I'm allowed to use the gospel, God, so I won't withhold things in my life. I won't withhold my situations. I won't withhold my weaknesses. I won't withhold the things that I'm insecure about, but I'll use them because I believe that through that, God, you can make a difference. Through that, God, you can change lives. Through that, God, you can bring healing. I will not allow other people's eternity to hang in the balance out of fear of talking to them about you. I will not allow people to walk in anxiety and, and fear and depression when I have the, the answer, when I have the thing that they need. Give us the strength. Give us the courage. And if that's you and you want to make a declaration to do that this week, I'd love for you to just raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. That's awesome. My hand's up too. 
Well, God, I thank you that your word says that we are new creations, that the old has passed away and that the new has come. So I thank you for moments like this that remind us that we're not just new, but we're made new by you, God. I pray over every single person in here, God. I pray that insecurity would fall in the name of Jesus, that we would see salvations in our homes. We would see salvations at our jobs. We would see salvations in our school, God. Not because we've done enough, God, not because of some disciplines that we've changed in our life, but because we decided that we're gonna use the gospel and a puddle, God, and you're gonna give us what we need, God. Allow us, God, to have a willingness to explain. God, I remove any willingness to debate, any willingness to argue. Give us a willingness to explain. Do what only you can do in our church. Do what only you can do in our cities, God, as we pray for revival. Revival does not start here, God, but it starts in the home. It starts in the job. It starts in the cubicle. So allow us to have the confidence to bring people to you. In Jesus' name. Come on. And everyone said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.